0: I worship at Metro because of the power of God. I think we have to be authentic and come and give gratitude to him. We have to give a thanksgiving to him. And when you come with your heart, God accept the uh, gratitude that you gave him. And I worship because of that, because God is awesome, is everlasting, is the one that always deserves all the honor and glory, and we give him all the adoration. This the Metropolitan United Methodist Church podcast. Going across to the other side. Going to the other side. Last Sunday, June the 17th, was a very important day in the life of Methodism. It was someone's birthday. Do you have an idea of whose birthday it was? Think back to your confirmation class or your membership class. Whose birthday was it? Just in case you're not remembering, it was John Wesley's birthday. John Wesley's birthday. John Wesley was born 1703, June 17th. He was born in England. He was one of Seventeen children that their parents had. Only nine, it said, lived beyond one year old. But John Wesley and Charles, who were the founders of Methodism, were two of those children. They had great parents. John Wesley's father was an Anglican priest. His mother's father was a minister, a cleric, but one who was a dissenting minister. In that day, it was the home that did the schooling most of the time, unless you were of wealth. Susan Wesley taught the children. It said that as soon as they were able to walk and talk, she taught them to read and to write. She taught them to read scripture. She Taught them to memorize scripture. She even taught them Greek and Latin. And once a week and sometimes in the evening, she would test them to see if they were getting it straight. It's said that Susanna Wesley was the one who was the uh, teacher of morals, and values, and order. John and Charles were born during the time that England was becoming an industrial society. And the people who were left behind were those who were poor and those who were on the margins of life. John Wesley went to Oxford. He turned out to be a great student. John and Charles took with them what their mother had taught. And when they were in school, they wanted to reduplicate what they had been taught. So Charles put together a holy club and in that holy club, they would study the scripture, they would read appropriate literature, they would support one another and and just try to live a good life. That was Charles and that was John. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Let me just say. You see, sometimes I think we have to look back at our history and understand it before we can go forward. Because, simply this, we wouldn't be here today if John and Charles had not gotten out in the street. So I want to just briefly talk about how they did that. You see, after Charles and John went to college, John Wesley was offered the opportunity, after he became ordained in the Anglican Church, the opportunity to come to the New World. He came to be the chaplain for Oglethroth, who was sort of the general of that colony, the governor of that colony. And he was going to be the chaplain of that area, down in the St. Simon Island. And Charles was going to be his attaché, his kind of secretary. And so, John Wesley kind of experienced what was going on in the so-called New World. He saw the Indians, and he saw slavery, and he saw people trying to make it in the New World. Charles didn't make it, but for seven months, and he went back to England. John Wesley stayed for almost two years and he kind of fell in love with a woman and um, she didn't like him, (laughs) broke his heart and and, and John was hurt. But what John tried to do with this new church of this group that he was working with he tried to recreate the Holy Club and they did not like it and John just felt that his ministry here was a failure and he went back to England now John had been influenced by the Moravians and they tended to have a very close relationship, a personal relationship with God, and that that kind of influenced John Wesley. And when he got back, he got back into doing the holy clubs. And what began to happen is that John Wesley knew that he wasn't gonna do well being an Anglican priest. He loved the Anglican Church and he never really left it, but he saw his ministry as being something different. So he got involved again with the Holy Clubs and this is what they began to do. They began to study Scripture But not only did they study scripture, they began to look at how their lives could become much more effective in making a difference in the lives of the people who were on the margin. So John Wesley and Charles started preaching. Not in the streets, not in the churches, but in the streets. It's said that John Wesley, in his lifetime, preached more than 40,000 sermons. He would preach wherever he could, two and three times a day. And he did not have cars. I like this minister who has this new exciting plane. He rode horse and it's said that during his lifetime he rode that horse more than 250,000 miles. Can you believe it? What John Wesley and Charles started doing was going to the prisons and visiting the prisoners Many of them were debtor prisoners, and they would come together and raise money from the class groups that they had, and they would pay off their debts. John Wesley started schools so that children could be educated. John Wesley was kind of like in in, in trouble with the parish priest because they didn't like exactly what they were doing. But John Wesley was very clever. You see, John Wesley made sure that their time of ministry and worship was not in conflict with the Anglican Church. And because of how they started doing things, the people started calling them those crazy people with a method. And that turned out to be how we got our name, the Methodists. We are those people that have a method. But what John really started teaching was that it was important that we have a personal relationship with jesus christ he taught about spiritual holiness john wesley felt it wasn't enough just to do it but we had to Know something more. John Wesley talked about grace and he talked about prevenient grace. And that's that kind of grace that goes before us even before we are known. And it stays with us. And it calls us for. Now, you may ask, what, what does this have to do with the scripture? Well, let me get there. You see, the scripture that was read this morning was one of those scriptures that we kind of know. We've heard it so many times, and, and it's a great story. But if that's where we stop, we miss the power of the parable. You see, Mark's gospel was the first gospel written even though in the Bible, it's number two. It's the shortest gospel. It was written sometimes around 60 to 70 years after the life and death of Jesus. And it was written to different people. You see, at that particular time, people were still looking for an early return of Jesus, and he had not come back. The Roman government was still very powerful, and folks were wondering, what then are we to do? Are we supposed to grow a strong army and fight them, or do we wait on Jesus? What do we do? So, the scripture is a story about the in-between time. What do we need to do when things are not as they ought be? Where do we go? Who do we turn to? So, this is why we have this scripture. It tells us something that we ought know. It talks about this Galilean Sea but it's it's not really a sea it's 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 a small lake it's not even large as St. Clair Lake. St. Clair Shores Lake. And yes a storm did arise but the important thing to know about the symbol of the sea is that, what does that do? You see, it's the lake, the sea, is the symbol that separates us. It separates us by sometimes class, geographically separates us, sometimes by race, sometimes by politics. It, 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 it separates us. And here the disciples are saying, and Jesus is saying, let's cross to the other side. And you see, when you go to the other side, you're going to a place that is unknown. You're going to a place that you're not sure of. You're going to a place that's different. Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. The question then is, where is the other side in your life? Who's on the other side? And what is it that propels us to go to the other side? I came to Detroit in 1968. It was a great time in my life, and I was excited about leaving the South and coming here to this great city, and it was bustling, and it was a great place because I grew up in a town of less than 2000, so so you can imagine what it felt like, my coming here to Detroit. And at that time, I was so excited about the United Methodist Church. There were United Methodist churches all over. In fact, at that time, there were more than 75 United Methodist churches in the city. Today, I drive by the building and I see Methodist Episcopal Church. But I don't see those who call themselves Methodists or United Methodists. The scripture then pushes us think about the other side and if we are to do what John Wesley did then in this day and this present age we have to find a way to go to the other side and going to the other side means simply this Trusting God first. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and know that what Jesus wants more than anything is that his reign about the kingdom is for all people. All people. And that when we think about the other side, It's not a place that's abandoned. It's where God's people are. They may not look like us. They may not think like us. But they are still God's people. And for us, we have to learn how to become familiar with the other side. You know, when I, I think about that, that scripture, I, I, I think that somehow it ends too, too soon because it doesn't say enough about the other side, that's kind of up to us. What are the things about us, and when I say us, I mean us, I'm talking about United Methodists. United Methodists tend to like United Methodists. You know, we worship together. We go out to eat together. Many of us live in the same neighborhoods. We shop together. And a part of why there's another side is that all too often we hang together. We don't know the other side. And we become uncomfortable with the other side across And our task is to find a way to get to the other side. I I want to read a statement that John Wesley wrote. And I I think it speaks to where we are today. This is what John Wesley said after a long ministry. You know, know, John Wesley, On his dying bed, he was an abolitionist. John Wesley supported women being in ministry. Women were class leaders. But this is what John Wesley said. My fear is not our great movement known as Methodists will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, and the experience of the supernatural that makes us who God wants us to be. We will become comfortable as we are. The United Methodist Church is at the crossroad. We're struggling with what we want to be and what we want to do and and I think until we get back to the fact that what God wants through Jesus Christ is everybody to be a part of it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, who you love. God wants you to be a part of God's reign, here and now. I talked about how I felt when I came to Detroit. And then being in Detroit, I saw the city kind of go down. And now I'm I'm excited about the city. But the city will not be the great city if all people are not at the table. We are at this time in America and in the world where there is knowledge enough to feed all of the people on the earth. Knowledge enough to get rid of so many of the diseases knowledge enough to make sure that every child is educated and yet what do we do? We get caught up in politics. We get caught up in what this denomination ought to do rather than understanding that God calls us love one another, to be there for one another, to cross the road and get to know one another. One thing that I would like every United Methodist Church to do, because United Methodist Churches talk about growth, church growth all the time. Do you know how the church can grow? I'll give you one easy secret. Church growth can happen if every person just makes one decision. That this year, before the year's out, I will nurture and bring one person to be a part of this church, not ten, not five, just one. And that you will be the person who nurture them, love them into this fellowship. And just think what could happen. If you, with your knowledge of the church and your knowledge of what Methodism does, make trem- tremendous difference. One last thing, and I'm, I'm 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 through. When I think about John Wesley and going into the streets, do you know I would not be here today if it was not for the United Methodist Church. As I said, John Wesley's last letter that he wrote was to Wilberforce, and he went to Wilberforce to talk about the need to continue the abolitionist movement in England. And when John Wesley sent the local preachers here to start the church in America, one of the first things that he said was that in Methodism, you cannot own slaves. That was how the church began. And that's why many Africans became Methodists. They became Methodists because of the fire and the power of a message. Do you know when the church was organized here in that first conference? All except nine of the churches had people of color in them. What I'm saying is that I am here today because of the abolitionists in the north who saw to it that in the south there were schools for people of color who had been enslaved. And if it had not been for the church supporting black schools, I would not be here this day. All I'm saying is simply this. Don't let John Wesley's statement come true. You have God's providential grace going with you to cross to the other side to make sure God's kingdom Become a part of this world. Let the church say, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Metro UMC podcast. Please join us for worship at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings or at 5 o'clock on Tuesdays for 5 o'clock Rush. You can find more information at metroumc.org or on Facebook under Metropolitan United Methodist Church. Metropolitan United Methodist Church is a biblically-based, multicultural, diverse, Christ-centered congregation where everyone is welcome. Intro and outro music by the Marvin Jones Trio and their recording, I Remember You.